Well, we are in a series titled The Core, where we are looking at our core beliefs, where we're talking about as being disciples, that means that we are trying to be like Jesus. Uh, and that is quite a, a tall order, right? That, that to be like Jesus uh, takes a bit of work, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, to be like Jesus, we first have to decide that that's our goal, I think many of us enter into a, a Christian faith for a variety of reasons, and we may not have declared that, that being like Jesus is the real goal. Uh, we may have other goals that are more important than that goal. Uh, so we have to, to decide to be like Jesus. And, and we've got a, a diagram up here that we've been using uh, every week uh, where we're talking about be, think, and act that to be like Jesus, you have to start thinking like Jesus. You have to believe the things that Jesus believed. And in those beliefs, you become more like Jesus. Uh, you can't be like somebody and not think like somebody. Uh, we have to act like Jesus. And this is where the spiritual disciplines come into play, where, where you're, you're going through and acting in the way Jesus acts to become more like Jesus. Uh, but all of this, if, if focused on our own energy, will not, uh, not succeed. We have to have God at the center of that, God at the, at, as the one that is empowering our ability to be, think, and act like Jesus. And so for the first uh, couple weeks, we've talked about this question of who is God? Who is he? Uh, and we're, we're trying to get these beliefs to go from our head down into our hearts, where we really believe in our hearts. Who is God? And so this gave us our, our first core belief that we talked about. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that is a statement that is packed with meaning, right? That, that I believe that it's the God of the Bible. That's which God we're talking about. Uh, and this God exists in this mysterious three persons, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we see this perfect community that exists within God, and we're designed to be a part of that community. Uh, then our second question was, uh, is, uh, is God good? Uh, God doesn't have to be good. Uh, God can be very bad, uh, but we asked this question of, is God good? And so we learned that in our, our second core belief, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. So we've got this incredible God. This is who he is. This is, this is who we, have, we, we believe in. And then he is involved in and cares for our personal lives. That, that he cares about our daily life in some way. And so because God is good and because he's involved in our daily lives, we ask the question, how do I have a relationship with him? So if he's good and he wants to have a relationship with me, how do I have that relationship? And that's where Patrick uh, did an outstanding job last week of unpacking salvation. Uh, Patrick said, we aren't saved so we can go home. We're saved so God can make his home in us. And so too many... Too, too often we think about salvation as this destination. If we can get fire insurance of some sort, we can get to heaven. But salvation is so much more. Salvation is about joining with God in the blessing of the world. And so we talked through that. So, so we have this God who wants to be in a relationship with us. And we have this third core. I believe a person comes into a, relation, a right relationship with God 
by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we can see that relationship in the question that we have today, how can I know God and his will for my life? If he wants to have a relationship with me, how do I know him? How do I know God and his will for my life? Um, And this is where the Bible comes in. Uh, Knowing with confidence uh, that that this is the word of God, that the the Bible that we read is is something that comes from God, that is God's truth for our lives, uh, knowing how to read it, knowing how to understand it for ourselves, that is critical to becoming a follower of Jesus, to becoming like Jesus. And so we have practical questions of life, practical questions And we can turn to God's word for answers. We have uh, questions of our beliefs, and we can turn to God's word to strengthen our faith. Uh, We face difficulties, and we can turn to God's word for encouragement and for hope. We turn to the Bible to hear from God, to hear what he has to say from us, to listen to him. I think for a lot of us, uh, familiarity with these concepts, which is part of the reason why we're going through the core beliefs, uh, the familiarity with these can, can breed apathy in us, where, where we forget the real meaning behind what it is that we're saying. And so I think we're, we're very familiar with the Bible. We are a people who, who have experience with the Bible. We have owned Bibles for, for most of our lives. Some of us uh, were born with Bibles given to us. Uh, and, and that has been a part of our lives for, for so long. Um, as, as a child, I grew up with the Bible as a very important part of our household. This is, this is the Bible that was given to me when I was Clara's age. When I was six years old, uh, this was the, the gift Bible that was given to me by my parents uh, on my birthday when I turned six. Uh, and, and this m- made many, many trips back and forth to church on those pews down in Bosque Farms. Um, and so, so we have these Bibles that are very much a part of our lives, and, and I think we all have these very meaningful uh, Bibles as well. I was, uh, I was trying to think of how we could come and share some stories about, about Bibles that were really significant to us. Some of us have been given Bibles as gifts at, um, at birth, or maybe a, a Bible was handed down from a grandparent or or someone that was very close to you, or, or the, these Bibles were given to you at different times, and they, they hold a, a real meaning to you. Um, I've, I've got a, a small little Bible that uh, was carried uh, uh, by my great uncle in World War II uh, that he, he carried around with him. And so we have these, these things that are so meaningful to us. And, and, and with that meaningful interaction with the Bible, we can actually get caught in a rut where we don't engage with it the way that we probably should. Um, but as we look at this being the Word of God, that is such an incredible statement to say that you are, you are holding God's Word. The things that He says, the things that He speaks, are here for us. And that is such a powerful, powerful thing. And so that leads us to our, our, core, um, our core belief for this week. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. What does it mean for the Bible to be the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and my actions? 
The fact that we can even hold Bibles is, is really quite a blessing. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, people didn't get to do. Uh, people did not get to hold a Bible. They didn't get to own a Bible. That was for a select few. And it wasn't until William Tyndall came along with a, a dream and a vision for interpreting the Bible in a way that could be uh, read by the masses. Uh, he came in and, and he wanted to interpret the Bible so everybody could read it. Even the clergy weren't reading the Bible. And so there was such a different dynamic, and he, he lost his life for that dream, that uh, he, he wanted the Bible to be interpreted so that we could read it, uh, and, and that cost him his life. And so for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, their experience with the Word of God was more oral than it was reading. They didn't have that text to read, and so it was, it was orally transmitted. They were listening to the words, not reading the words. Um, and had to have somebody else interpret that for them. And so it's only in the last 500 years that we've really been able to engage with Scripture in a very different way where we can have pages with text that we can be reading through. And so we ask, what is the Bible? What, what, what is the Bible really? We're, uh, I, I've used the analogy before about the football where, where you go in and say, here is a football. <laughs> and for today, maybe there may be some speeches given. Remember, this is a football. This is, this is what we're trying to do. And, and, and we need to be reminded, this is the Bible. This is, this is what it is. Um, there's a couple of really good resources that I want to encourage you to read if you want to dig into this even further. Um, one of them is called The Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. Um, outstanding book that walks you through uh, just how to rethink how we read the Bible. Um, and I imagine quite of you probably went through this book a few years ago um, and in talking about just how we read Scripture and how we look at the Bible differently. Um, and then this is, this is a little bit of an older book, but um, this one is uh, published by ACU, uh, God's Holy Fire, and it's talking about the nature and function of Scripture. And this one is, is a really helpful tool that gets in deeper into what Scripture is and how we engage with it. So those are, those are a couple of resources uh, to go deeper uh, today. So I'm going to be pulling for, from a couple of those things. Um, Scott McKnight, in his book, The Blue Parakeet, talks about these shortcuts that we take in giving um, in, in biblical interpretation. And this, these really list out what the Bible is not. This is, this is how we should not approach Scripture. Um, so one shortcut that we take in looking at Scripture is looking at morsels of law. So we, we look at uh, and pull out laws that fit well for our case, and then we ignore all the others, right? And so you end up with, with uh, being that teenager where the rule in the Bible is don't dance um, or, or don't drink, and this becomes your rule book, and... Uh, you don't talk about anything like love your enemies. And so we, we, we take these morsels of law that, f that fit what we want, and we apply those to our situation. So that's morsels of law. Another one is morsels of blessing and promises. Uh, this is what I, uh, I like to call refrigerator magnet verses. These, these are short little verses that we like to stick up on our refrigerators. We put on our bumper stickers. We, we put on the fronts of our Bibles. We, we have devotional books where we do one of them every single day. And, and we're pulling out these blessings and these promises from, from the Bible that may be out of context 
And so, so one day we may be reading from a gospel, one day we, we might be reading from a psalm, another day we're reading from a prophet, and, and we've got all these different pieces uh, that are really not pieced together in a real coherent way. Uh, lots of very popular devotional books uh, that, that approach Scripture that way. Uh, there's a third one that's called Mirrors and Ink, block, ink Blots where we look at Scripture to be what we want it to be. We want it to f- reflect the reality of who we are. Um, so if, if you are a Republican, uh, you look at Scripture and you are able to interpret Scripture in a way that says the Bible is Republican and Jesus is Republican. Um, if you are a Democrat, you do the same thing. And so, so um, that's wrong, by the way. We're, we're not going to get into politics, but, but Jesus was not a Republican or a Democrat. And so... Um, <laughs> It just was a very different place then. And so, um, so but we, we read Scripture in a way that will, will try to reflect what we want it to reflect, as opposed to looking at what God is really saying. Um, and then another one that Scott McKnight talks about is puzzle pieces to map God's mind. This is where if you can learn enough trivia and learn enough of, of the text of the Bible, you don't ever have to go read it again. Like, I've got all the puzzle pieces, they're all pieced together, I've got it figured out, and I don't really need to go listen, read it again. I've, I've read the Gospels, I know what it says, I don't need to go back and read it. You've, you've, you've got the puzzle figured out. Um, and then the last one uh, is uh, the maestros, where you have a person, a, a, a single uh, person or personality that you really read Scripture through as an interpreter. Um, where this person, maybe it is a pastor of a church, or maybe it's a certain uh, uh, heritage that you come from, or maybe it is Paul, the apostle, where you are reading Scripture through the lens of that person uh, instead of reading Scripture as the Word of God. And so, especially in our heritage and, and others, we tend to read Scripture more through the lens of what Paul says and what we do is the Bible is what the Bible says. So those are all things that traps that we fall into. Those are things that we can um, that that we we get stuck in, and we're all guilty of those from time to time. And knowing them and acknowledging them helps us to approach Scripture more appropriately. So as we look at what the Bible is, um, I'm going to try to move through these kind of fast. Um, the Bible is inspired, and so this is something that we have heard a lot. Uh, as, as we think about what the Bible is, the Bible is inspired. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. The Bible is breathed out uh, by God himself. And so we read in um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Greek word here that God, uh, that for God breathed is this very unique word that's only used here, uh, and it's uh, theonu. This is where your brain being clear really helps if you're speaking another language. Um, <laughs> theonuestos is the word, and so it's combining this word theo with this word pneuma. And so this word theo is the word for God, and the word pneuma is the word that's used for breath and spirit. And so these two words are, are combined to say uh, that God breathes life into the scriptures. The same word that's used to translate Genesis chapter 2, where, they talk, where, where God breathed life into Adam's nostrils. 
And so God breathes life into Adam. God brings, breathes life into his word. And so the word is inspired uh, by God. The writer of Hebrews says that for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so this is a book that is alive. It's something that God breathes into. And God didn't just plop it down for, in a complete English Bible for us to engage with. It was something that was composed over, over a you know, thousand years. It was something that came from multiple authors. Um, so inspiration from the Bible means that God revealed the message to the chosen people to be written down. Um, and so in the Old Testament, we see that primarily happening through the prophets. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. And so you've got prophets where God's words are put into their mouths. Now there's a lot we can talk about on how we got the 66 books of the Bible and, 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 and understand all that. Uh, if you want to dig into that some more, there's a nine-minute video online that you can go look at. Uh, it's at thestory.com slash go deeper to. So it's thestory.com, Randy Frazee's uh, website there, thestory.com slash go deeper to. And so there's a, a nine-minute video there that kind of gets into more of the nuts and bolts of how we got those 66 books. Uh, but for now, we're, we're saying the Bible is inspired, but the Bible is also authoritative. Um, God breathed in 2 Timothy is not the focus of that passage. Uh, the focus of that passage is actually on the usefulness of Scripture, uh, not on where the Scripture comes from. So we see all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so... Yes, it is God-breathed, but the importance of this passage here is looking at the usefulness. For the, it's the usefulness. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for re rebuking and correcting and training. And so the Bible is authoritative because of the usefulness of the Scripture. Um, the author of the book is everything, right? If I'm going to uh, be shopping for a book, I want to know who's writing it. If I'm if I'm shopping for a financial management book, I don't want to buy a book written by somebody poor. Um, if I am shopping for a book on how to run a business, I want a book that's written by someone who has run a business and has employees and successfully did that. You know, who the author is gives the credibility to the book that you're trying to read. And so we, we need to be looking at who the author is. And so for us to look at the scripture and say that God inspired it, that God is ultimately the author of it, that it is his word to us, that gives us great authority for what scripture says. When we go to scripture, we, we know that the author, of the, the, the author of the universe is the one who has given us these words. And so because it's the word of God, the Bible has the right to govern our lives. It has the right to speak into our lives. We can't treat it as some sort of buffet where we, we come to it and try to only eat the pieces that we really like and we really enjoy. And we have to come to the whole of it. Uh, scripture is, is powerful because of the author. Jesus uses Scripture as a defense against Satan in Matthew chapter 4, where he's being tempted and he uses Scripture as such a powerful defense for him.
Uh, so, and then in Psalm 119 that we read earlier, we see this very high regard for Scripture. So if we ignore the Bible, we ignore the voice of God. So we, we cannot ignore the Bible because that is the voice of God. And so too many of us have placed ourselves in authority over the Bible instead of letting the Bible come in as authority over our lives. Third, the Bible is infallible. And so to say that the Bible is infallible means that um, it is unfailing in accomplishing its purposes. It doesn't mean that there aren't uh, mistakes in translation or, or inconsistencies in perspectives of stories and things like that. It means that the purpose is true. The purpose is consistent. It's not a historical or scientific document. Um, the purpose of Scripture is to, to turn people's hearts to God, to form a relationship between the Creator and the created. James chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that if we draw near to God, then He will draw near to us. And so we draw near to Him through His Word. As the authors of God's Holy Fire says, they, they put it this way, Scripture breaks hearts and shapes minds, turning the church to God. Scripture breaks hearts and shapes minds, turning the church to God. And so how do we read the Bible? How do we approach Scripture? If, if it is inspired, if, is it, if it is uh, authoritative, if it's infallible in its purposes, how do we approach Scripture? And this is something that we have, we have talked about uh, in multiple series. We went through the story where we're talking about going through Scripture as an entire story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. A couple months ago, we, in our series called On Mission, we talked about the story of Scripture, that, that, that the story of God comes in four sections. We've got the creation, we've got the fall, we've got redemption, and we've got new creation. And so we approach the Bible as one large story. And by approaching it as one large story, we're able to interpret our lives in the context of that story. We're able to answer questions of, of who are we, or, or where are we, or what's wrong, or what's the solution. We're able to answer those questions because we find ourselves in the story of God. Stories help us find our place. They help us find our identity. And so when we read the Bible this way, we are discovering a God who is in relentless pursuit of his people. He wants to be in relationship with his people. And so when we read the Bible, we're engaging in a relationship not with the Bible. We're engaging in a relationship with God. And too many times we've approached Bible study as a relationship with the Bible. We've, we've learned the trivia, we've memorized the songs, we've memorized the stories, and we have a relationship with the Bible. We don't have a relationship with God. And so we don't approach the Bible as something to have a relationship with. We approach the Bible as something that helps us have a relationship with God. And so the question is, do you believe? Do you believe that these 66 books are combined together to become the very word of God? Are you convinced in your heart that these are the very words of God? Skip over again a, a few forward to the, the, the belief statements here. Um, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. Let's read that out loud together. 
I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. And so if you really believe that, then, then God is inviting you to embrace all of it as a guide for your life. He's asking you to embrace all of it, not parts of it. He's asking you to, to engage in all of it, the parts that you understand, the parts that you don't understand, the parts that make you uncomfortable, the parts that you disagree with. We're called to engage in all of those pieces. And so the greatest training manual for us to become like Jesus comes when we listen to the Word of God. We listen. But it's not just listening, it's also obeying. The Bible is not a book of suggestions, it is the Word of God, and it invites us to let it rule and guide every aspect of our lives. And so we frequently wrap up our time together asking these two questions. God, what are you saying to me, and what are you going to do about it? God, what are you saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? These two questions help us to engage with God in a relationship with God where, where we're looking and seeing, God, what are you saying? These are your words. You're speaking to me. You're inviting me into your story. We're invited into that. They're words that have authority and purpose for my life. But then after hearing from God and hearing what he has to say, we have to choose to obey. We have to choose to, to say, what am I going to do about it and take action on that? So will I follow or will I choose to ignore? Let's be standing together. We end each time with a, a time of prayer. And this is for us to, to be processing together, God, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it? And you can process that as an individual. You can process that with each other to spend some time talking and, and praying about, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? Uh, we each come into this room today from in a lot of different places, from a lot of different places. And so God is working on you where you're at. And so what is he saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Share that with somebody and have them pray for you to help hold you accountable to making that happen. Uh, we've got lots of things going on in our family. We've got sicknesses. We've got illnesses. We've got broken relationships. We've got lost jobs. We've got moving and transitions. There's lots of things going on, and we want to be praying for those things as well. Uh, we'll have the shepherds down front uh, or in the back. Uh, you're welcome to come down and pray with one of them. Uh, or pray with each other, uh, get your small group together or a family together, and spend some time praying together. Uh, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word to us, and we pray that we will have ears to hear and, and hearts to understand, that we will listen to all that you have to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's be praying together.